as you can see, we are getting really excited with Post-it notes. Um, we're fun with Post-it notes. That's what we're calling this series. But uh, no, actually, Jamie Hernandez made those, and they look incredible. And, and the series is called, say it with me, Post-it Notes from God. Post-it Notes from God. It's this idea that God actually wants to speak to us. Do you believe that, that God actually wants to speak to you? But he doesn't just want to speak to you in the big things. He wants to speak to you in the little things of life. And I would call them the post-it notes of life. The everyday, minute-by-minute, moment-by-moment things of life. By his Spirit. Did you know that by his Holy Spirit, he desires to speak to you? He desires to speak to you, in you, and through you. Little words, little messages each and every day. Now, as you and I go about our day, we, we might leave a note on the counter for our spouse. You ever left a note on the counter for your spouse? Or maybe you're texting your kids, right? The, the post-it note these days in 2016 is the text, right? You know, I love you, or, you know, don't forget to do this, or those types of things. But as much as we send those messages, I think God is sending us similar messages every day. Church, he's still in the business of speaking to his children. Do you believe that? Yeah. Well, one of the things that just frightens me is how many people profess to believe in God, and yet the God they believe in, I, I wonder if he truly is alive. He is alive. <laughs> He's with you. He's in you. And he wants to speak to you and through you. One of the messages he wants to give you is that he misses you. He misses you. It's, it's a, a word that he has in, his, in, in the Bible. It's a word that he gives us by his spirit. In fact, I was reading the Bible this week, and this is how much he wants you back. Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, including you, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will, what? I will hear them from heaven, and I will forgive them of their sins, and I will heal their land. He misses us. Church, he also loves us. Do you believe that God loves you? He's sending us messages that he loves you. Oh, God, do you love me? Yes, he loves you. John 3, 16, 17, he says, this is how much I love you. For God loved the world so much that he gave who? He gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Say it with me. Eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world. I love 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? Say it with me. Save the world through him. Romans 8, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor the present, nor the things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. I said anything else in all creation. Nothing in all of creation will ever, ever, ever able to be able to separate me from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. God loves you. He wants you to know that. Sonia, God loves you. Gina, God loves you. Pete, God loves you too, man. <laughs> I love making fun of you, Pete. And then another thing, and I think this is a simple sticky note. And it's the idea that he would say, and don't forget, dot, dot, dot. You know, the, the, the more I walk on this earth, the, the more I realize that God wants to remind me every day that he has things for me to do. It would be the idea, the post-it note that would say, don't forget. Ephesians 4.20, don't forget that you are God's handiwork. Don't forget that you are actually created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. The Lord would say, don't forget to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Dan, don't forget to what? To love your neighbor as yourself. Now, mom and dad, they might say, you know, don't forget to take out the trash. Don't forget to be nice to your sister. You ever hear that one? <laughs> My mom said that one a lot. Or don't forget... To pay the electric bill, that might come from your wife. Don't forget to fix the leaky faucet, empty the litter box. And um, she thought you forgot to empty the litter box. Uh, that was very much on purpose. 
But the Lord would say, don't forget to obey my commands. Don't forget to follow my teachings. Don't forget to give my Holy Spirit permission to lead you, to guide you, to fill you, to actually give you what you need to live a life for him. Did you know that he would say, don't forget, I got some messages for you because I actually have a life I want you to live, like an abundant life, not a life of misery and sorrow, but a life of joy, of love, of grace, of peace. Don't forget, I have a word for you today. Follow my instructions. You can live an abundant life for me. So that's our focus. God would say, I miss you. I love you. And don't forget, I've got things for you to do. More than anything this summer, it's going to be an opportunity for us to remember that God is alive. And again, it's just one of the things that terrifies me about Christians and and religious people. So many people are religious. And yet I wonder... I wonder if they actually believe in a God who is living, like right now, like alive right now. Not that historical book, not someone that did something great thousands of years ago, but the God who is alive. Did you know that God is still alive? All around us, God is alive. Everywhere you look, you can see God. He is alive. He is not like in the back in the corner going, oh no, what am I going to do? Like I'm just so scared. It's 2016 and all these people are being mean to me and oh my goodness. No, God is a powerful God. He is an awesome God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the creator of you and he is very much alive today and he has things that he still wants to do. You are his creation, and guess what? He misses his creation. He wants you back. He wants to have an actual living, moving, breathing, real relationship with you. In fact, he has such a desire to be close to us. And that's hard for many people to understand, that God actually desires to be close to you. Instead, much of us have the view of God that would kind of look at God as being there, right? It's like the Bette Midler approach of God, you know, God is watching us, you know, from a distance. Yeah, right? What a bunch of hooey. And I get that Beaches was a good movie and we all cried, but what a bunch of hooey. God is not watching us from a distance. God, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you profess him as your Lord and Savior, God the Holy Spirit. Where is he? Is he, is he somewhere? Where might you be? No, he's in us. Amen. Psalm 145, 18 tells us the Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to who call on him in truth. Say that with me. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. It's an amazing truth, church. The creator of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth. He's also the creator of you. And he's the creator of me. And he is close to us when we call on his name. That's the heart of God. That's his desire. That's his passion is to be close to us. To dwell in us and to lead us. So I'd say there's some pretty good news in the house this morning. Good news. And yet if we're honest, many people in this world and many people who still walk this earth live without that close relationship with God, without that knowledge or the experience of Him dwelling within them and moving through them. And, and maybe that describes you. Maybe you've never had that close relationship with God. And if that's you, I am so happy that you're here. See, I'm excited for you because this summer, God, He's alive. His love is on the move. He is the same as He ever was. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not in the back cowering. He's doing okay. He's doing just fine. And he wants you. He wants to have that close relationship with you. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a while, and yet, if you're honest, you've just kind of been walking through the motions. I think we all 
You get trapped in that every, every once in a while in our lives, and, and maybe you're just kind of walking through, I would say, kind of a sleepwalk type of life. And you know that there was a time when you had that strong walk with the Lord, but that was a distant memory. Well, I love what we get to do in the name of Jesus. I can say right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would be able to take back what the enemy stole from you. Isn't that good? Like right now, we can profess in the powerful name of Jesus that whatever the enemy thought he could take away from you, you're going to take it back right now in the name of Jesus. Could today be the day that you actually stand back up in faith? Today be the day that you actually put your hope and your trust once again in God and in His Son, Jesus Christ. And would today be the day that you actually might be able to have that vibrant, joy-filled relationship with your Heavenly Father once again? I believe today can be that day. Church, He misses you. He loves you and He's got things for you to do. I'm so excited. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, there's such a joy within my heart to know who you are, what, what you've brought me through, what you continue to teach me. And every time, Lord, I say, I have so much to learn. Every time you respond by saying, Danny, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you. I'm going to teach you. And Lord, I thank you that you are willing to teach us today. Teach us, Lord, what it means to follow you. Teach us. Teach us. Just that there might be even a, a deeper understanding of your heart for us, how much you love us, your passion for us. Lord, may today be the day that everyone in this room at an 845 service on a really hot Sunday morning, that every one of us might be able to turn back to you, God. Turn back to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, amen. So when we think about our interactions with God and, and even our ability to listen to him, many times it's kind of like we receive... We, we, let's just be honest. When, when, we, when, we, think of, when we think of God... And the interactions with God. Most of us, we want God to say things like this. Move to Edgewood. But in reality, many times God's message looks a little bit more like this. Move off the couch. Help your spouse. Do the laundry. <laughs> right come on you know you're guilty of that <laughs> see god i i think we all get trapped in this from time to time I, I know i do we're all guilty of that because we we only relate to god in the biggest of topics right where should i go to college the, the big one growing up yeah, who am i gonna marry right who, who, who am i gonna marry who's gonna be my wife where should i work huge topics and by the way he Hallelujah, by his grace, he does respond to many of those questions. But when you're just approaching him, listen to this, when you're just approaching him on the big topics, I'm telling you, you are more approaching God as if he was a genie or a wizard performing a magic trick for us. And, and, and sometimes even how we approach God is, is as if you have to travel down that yellow brick road or you have to climb up that big mountain and, and meet with the Lord, right? And, you, and then you petition Him and you, and you try to get Him to do something big for us. And, and if we're honest, that's kind of how we relate with God. We, we interact with God in this way. Instead of, by the way, the, what He desires, which would be a personal, intimate relationship and dialogue where He is actually leading us all the time. So if you feel like you need to go down the yellow brick road, go down the yellow brick road. That's great. Go down the yellow brick road. I just want you to know that God is going with you down the yellow brick road. If you think you got to climb the mountain to get to the Lord, oh, I'm going to climb this mountain. I'm going to do this journey. I'm going to get there and I'm going to find the Lord. I just want you to know, go. Climb the mountain. Get on your backpack and climb. But God is climbing with you. 
God is with you. I just wonder, like, sometimes we, we, we have this idea of finding God. You know, we're going to take this journey, and then we will find God. God is with you on the journey. If there's any good news for you today, God is alive, and he's with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to lead you and guide you on the way. And the on the way part, I would say, are the little topics of life. You know, I'm sure, go for it. I mean, if you need that big thing, if you, I mean, go, still go for it. God, God will let you ask him for anything. But on the way, in the little things of life, in the get off the couch and help your wife cook dinner kind of moment, God wants to help you there as well. And I know for me, I found that my life with God, it really didn't take off. It didn't really become the adventure that it's meant to be until I began to interact with the Lord in this way. It wasn't until I started asking Him to truly lead me in the little things, in the day-to-day decisions of life, actually be with me in the journey. It wasn't until then that my life became that joy-filled, abundant life that He's destined all of us to live. And so we all have to take inventory, every one of us. In this room, take inventory on how we relate to God and approach God. Because he doesn't just want to approach us on the big things. You know, like where to go to college, who am I going to marry? He wants to actually lead you in kind of those day-to-day things. Like, where should we go for lunch? Where, what, what, what kind of music should I listen to right now? What service should I go to? First service or second service? I, I, do you relate with God in that way? Do you believe that he actually cares about you enough to relate with you in that way? Because he does. He loves you. He actually wants to spend time with you and speak into the smallest of details. But it's kind of funny to hear me saying all this. And it's really funny that my parents are actually here this morning. Thank you because um, everyone else is at second service. So you, you've done a good job of taking up the third row. If next time you could bring some of your friends from, um, from your community, that would be great. Oh, Sonia's here. So if you guys can just work together, um, we got some more seats for the 845 service. But it's interesting that you're here because... And please, I just remember I love you. And at the end of the story, it ends up being really good about you. <laughs> but I just remember as a kid, my parents were always talking to God about the smallest of things. And if I'm honest, I thought it was so strange and just a little bit unnecessary. And maybe you know people like this, but they go to the store. When they go to the store, they're praying. What are they praying for when they go to the store? A parking spot, exactly. Oh, Lord, would you give us the parking spot? And then when they get in the store, they're praying, Lord, would you lead us to the sale? Or would you lead us to the deals? And then they would pray that the Lord would lead them to the right restaurant. And then, Lord, would you give us the right waitress, you know, that we can minister to and bless and give one of, you know, now, nowadays when they go to restaurants, they give them my CD, which is so cool, like this whole waitress movement of Psalms project. Like, yeah, awesome. But at the, at the time, I'm just like, this is overkill, <laughs> Overkill. I mean, and here they are asking God to be intimately involved in their day-to-day, minute-by-minute lives. And I just thought, man, this is, this, is, this is nuts. This is unnecessary. But now as an adult who actually has to make thousands of decisions a day, and by the way, ashamed to say this, who has tried to make those decisions on my own without the help of the Lord, I can confidently tell you that it is so much better to make those decisions with the help of the Lord's leading than trying to do it on my own. And by the way, parents, if, you, if your kids think you're nuts, just keep on doing it. 
Because as much as I thought my parents were ridiculous after them doing it their entire life, look at me now. I'm like, oh God, would you leave me right now? Lord, would you help me? God, we need a parking spot and we need a parking spot now. In the name of Jesus, let that Subaru get out of there so we can go and get that parking spot. So parents, persevere. Even as your kids make fun of you. Persevere. One day they'll be preaching about you. And look at this. Proverbs 3, 5, 6. Look at this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he's going to make your path straight. Let's read it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I mean, just look at the verse. The verse doesn't tell you go see a wizard to do a magic trick for you. You know, to answer the big question that you've got. No, the pastor says in your day-to-day, minute-by-minute life, trust the Lord with everything you've got. Trust the Lord with everything you've got. Stop trying to do it on your own understanding. I mean, stop trying to do it on your own understanding. You have tried to live this life on your own understanding. Stop doing that. Acknowledge Him. Trust in Him. Remember when it says acknowledge Him in all your ways. So that's not just some of your ways, not just a few of your ways. How many of your ways? Doesn't that kind of look like an active relationship with the Lord? A minute-to-minute, moment-by-moment kind of life? where you're not just approaching him on the big things of life, but maybe you're actually talking to him about the smaller details of life. Trust in him, lean on him, acknowledge him in every situation. And the promise is amazing, right? What is he going to do? He's going to make your path. That's what a real relationship with the Lord looks like. Lean on him, trust him, acknowledge him. So here you go. Let's put it into practice. Whatever little sticky note that the Lord puts in front of you today, right now, read it. Lean on it. Trust it and obey it. Actually follow the word that the Lord has for you. In fact, I've, been, I've become kind of a not the most pleasant pastor to hang out with because people come with all these excuses. And I just like, so when the excuses are over, can we actually get to you doing what God has called you to do? Or you need another 15 minutes to tell me all the reasons why you can't do it because of her or him or that or this? Or when are you actually going to surrender your life, radically surrender your life? Oh, I get it that you're fearful. I get it that you have anxiety. I get that you're worried. But when are you actually, did you know that God created you? Like Ephesians 4.20, like with things to do in advance. Oh, but I get it, but she's really mean, and so maybe you shouldn't do those things. Honestly, the Christian thing that's happening in America makes me sick. This cultural Christianity if you want this dark world around you to know that God is alive, actually obey what he tells you to do. The, the playing the game of American Christianity, even this, like what we do on Sunday morning, if it's just a religious thing, this will all fall apart. You know what's going to remain? It's going to be God and his spirit dwelling in people. And it will be people that either say yes to him or no to him. And I want to be known as one who says yes to him. I want that for you as well. So you have to say yes to God. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. Trust in Him. Lean on Him. Moment by moment. Minute by minute. This isn't my notes, but it's just crazy to me. Where Christians, we're, we have this idea of what life is supposed to look like and what God is supposed to look like and so we live our life and then we try to cram God into our dreams and our hopes and our visions and our path. God, would you just do this and that and this and that instead of laying down our life 
And God, your God, your design, your purpose, your plans, and I'm going to get my life, my vulnerable, shaky, jar of clay kind of life, and I'm going to be broken before you. And I say, now, God, it's you. You're in authority. I'm no longer in authority. I'm no longer manipulating you to do what I want you to do. Instead, God, would you just lead me? Do with, with my life right now, just be perfectly fitted into what you have called me and designed me and destined me to do. Surrender to you, God. The, the, it's just a nightmare to me how Christians are continuing to try to manipulate God to do what we want him to do compared to laying on the ground flat before the Lord and say, oh God, I am nothing without you. But God, by your grace, I am something. And so God, by your grace, by your salvation, will you just pick me up right now and now I'm going to go wherever you want me to go because I'm nothing without you. I'm dead without you. In fact, I am lost without you. But now I'm alive in you, so I am yours. I am yours. And wherever you go, I will go. I, I just, come on. It's just a game we've been playing for too long in this country. The, the, the prayer actually says, not my will, but yours be done, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we actually lived that way? And I want that. I don't know about you. Does anyone else want that? I want that. I have a hunger for that. I have a passion for that. I have gone to enough sermons. I have gone to enough church services. I want the living God, the alive, active God to be moving and breathing in me and through me. Just come on. <laughs> do, you, do you believe he loves you? Do you believe he's for you? Do you believe he's with you? Do you believe he wants to speak in you and through you? I believe he does. And again, it's these smaller messages. And, and today, I would just say before he can really lead you, and this maybe is what that little rant was all about, is before he can lead you, you actually have to be in a real relationship with him. Right? You just can't play the game. The game, by the way, is just really depressing, and it's tiring, and it's exhausting. The Christian game is very exhausting, by the way. But to truly be led by the Lord, you have to come back to the Lord. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Today he says, come back to me. Yeah, it's just this heart of God. And he's spoken it so many times to me because I'm really good at wandering and leaving the Lord and rebelling against him. I, my flesh is, mm, it's healthy. But the Lord says, I miss you. I miss you. And before he can lead you, you have to turn back to him. Our creator misses his creation. It's really important. I've said this many times today, and I, I want you to get this idea that God is your creator, that he created you. Psalm 139, 13 tells us that he made all of your delicate inner parts of your body he actually knit you together in your mother's womb did you did you know that like that intimate that close and he made you and so he made you like he made you and he, he he created you he forms you and then he said okay now live and what do we do we turned from him that's what we did all of humanity, we turn from God. Here you are. I'm going to make you, and I've formed you, and i got plans for you. And he said, now just live and enjoy what I've created for you. And we go, whoop. We're like the new puppy you bring home, and you let it in the backyard, and it hops the fence and leaves and never comes back. But he says, I, I love you, and I miss you. And by the way, if, if you're good at doing that, Running away from God, turning from God, even turning away from your creator, not doing what your creator has purposed you to do, but instead living for your own life and living for the world. That's actually kind of the history of mankind. 
We've all been really good at that. Romans 1 describes this. It tells us that humanity turned from God, began worshiping and serving created things instead of the creator himself. God created us to find pleasure in him, but what did we do? We turned away. Whoop. Turned away from him. What did we end up doing? Instead of worshiping God, the Bible says that we worshiped the created instead of the creator. And that attitude and that spirit is all around us. It's in us. And it's this passion to live for the world instead of living for God. In fact, just think about yesterday. Get that playback going in your mind. The tape of how you live, what you said, what you did. How your time and your energy was spent. Was it spent on created things and for created things? Or was your time and energy spent on God and for God? We easily forget about God. Isaiah. Look at what Isaiah says. You guys have heard this before, but... Let's just not make it a really neat saying. Let's actually let it pierce our hearts today that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We've all gone astray. Not living for our Creator. Not living in how He designed us. Living God's plan A for our lives. But instead, what? Living for ourselves. Living for the things of this world. But the beautiful thing about being here at 9.48 in the morning is that God has some good news he misses us that even though we turned away he misses us and he loves us i love this phrase the creator misses his creation it breaks my heart and i think it's beautiful because i think it's the heart of god the creator misses his creation and even though so many have turned away from him and gone their own way god has a passion for you and he wants you back it's actually the story that's been played out ever since Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. There they were in that perfect relationship with the Lord, and yet they rejected the life that God desired to give them. But even though Adam and Eve, they began that rebellion against God, He has not given up on us. He has continued to make a way for us to be restored back into relationship with Him. I want to show you a video. It, it describes this so very well, and then I'll come up and close. The book of Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and its storyline divides into two main parts. There's chapters 1 through 11, which tell the story of God and the whole world. And then there's chapters 12 through 50, which zoom in and tell the story of God and just one man, Abraham, and then his family. And these two parts are connected by a hinge story at the beginning of chapter 12. And this design it gives us a clue to how to understand the message of the book as a whole and how it introduces the story of the whole Bible. So the book begins with God's taking the disorder and the darkness described in the second sentence of the Bible. And God brings out of it order and beauty and goodness and makes a world where life can flourish. And God makes these creatures called humans or Adam in Hebrew. He makes them in his image, which has to do with their role and purpose in God's world. So the humans are made to be reflections of God's character out into the world. And they're appointed as God's representatives to rule his world on his behalf. Which in context means to harness all of its potential, to care for it, and make it a place where even more life can flourish. God blesses the humans. It's a key word in this book. And he gives them a garden. It's like a place from which they begin starting to build this new world. Now the key is that the humans have a choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And that's represented by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up till now, God has provided and defined what is good and what is not good. But now God is giving the humans the dignity and the freedom of a choice. Are they going to trust God's definition of 
good and evil, or are they going to seize autonomy and define good and evil for themselves? And the stakes are really high. To rebel against God is to embrace death, because you're turning away from the giver of life himself. This is represented by the tree of life. And so in chapter 3, a, a mysterious figure, a snake, enters into the story. The snake's given no introduction other than it's a creature that God made. And it becomes clear that it's a creature in rebellion against God, and it wants to lead the humans into rebellion and their death. The snake tells a different story about the tree and the choice. It says that seizing the knowledge of good and evil are not going to bring death, that it's actually the way to life and becoming like God themselves. Now the irony of this is tragic because we know the humans, they're already like God. They were made to reflect God's image. But instead of trusting God, the humans seize autonomy, they take the knowledge of good and evil for themselves, and in an instant, the whole story spirals out of control. The first casualty is human relationships. The man and the woman, they suddenly realize how vulnerable they are. Now, they can't even trust each other. And so they make clothes and they hide their bodies from one another. The second casualty is that intimacy between God and the humans is lost. So they go run and hide from God, and then when God finds them, they start this game of blame shifting about who rebelled first. Now right here the story stops, and there's a series of short poems where God declares to the snake and then to the humans the tragic consequences of their actions. God first tells the snake that despite its apparent victory, it is destined for defeat to eat dust. God promises that one day a seed or a descendant will come from the woman who's going to deliver a lethal strike to the snake's head, which sounds like great news, but this victory is going to come with a cost because the snake too will deliver a lethal strike to the descendant's heel as it's being crushed. It's a very mysterious promise of this wounded victor. But in the flow of the story so far, you see this is an act of God's grace. The humans, they've just rebelled, and what does God do? He promises to rescue them. But this doesn't erase the consequences of the humans' decision. So God informs them that now every aspect of their life together at home and out in the field, it's going to be fraught with grief and pain because of the rebellion, all leading to their death. From here, the story then spirals downward. Chapters 3 through 11, they trace the widening ripple effect of the rebellion and of human relationships fracturing at every level. So there's a story about two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain's so jealous of his brother that he wants to murder him. And God warns him not to give in to the temptation, but he does anyway. He murders him in the field. So Cain then goes on to build a city where violence and oppression reign. And this is all epitomized in the story of Lamech. He's the first man in the Bible to have more than one wife. He's accumulating them like property. And then he goes on to sing a short song about how he's more violent and vengeful than Cain ever was. After this, we get an odd story about the sons of God, which could refer to evil angelic beings, or it could refer to ancient kings who claimed that they descended from the gods. And like Lamech, they acquire as many wives as they wanted, and they produce the Nephilim, these great warriors of old. Whichever view is right, the point is that humans are building kingdoms that fill God's world with violence and even more corruption. In response, we're told that God is broken with grief. Humanity is ruining his good world, and they're ruining each other. And so out of a passion to protect the goodness of his world, he washes it clean of humanity's evil with a great flood. But he protects one blameless human, 
Noah and his family, and he commissions him as a new Adam. He repeats the divine blessing and commissions him to go out into the world. And so our hopes are really high, but then Noah fails too, and also in a garden. He goes and he plants a vineyard, and he gets drunk out of his mind. And then one of his sons, Ham, does something shameful to his father in the tent. And so here we have our new Adam, naked and ashamed, just like the first. And the downward spiral begins again. It all leads to the foundation of the city of Babylon. The people of ancient Mesopotamia, they come together around this new technology they have, the brick. And they can make cities and towers bigger and faster than anybody's ever done before. And they want to build a new kind of tower that will reach up to the gods and they will make a great name for themselves. It's an image of human rebellion and arrogance. It's the Garden Rebellion now writ large. And so God humbles their pride and scatters them. Now this is a diverse group of stories, but you can see they're all exploring the same basic point. God keeps giving humans the chance to do the right thing with his world, and humans keep ruining it. So these stories are making a claim that we live in a good world that we have turned that we've all chosen to define good and evil for ourselves, and so we all contribute to this world of broken relationships, leading to conflict, and violence, and ultimately death. But there's hope. God promised that one day a descendant would come, the wounded victor who will defeat evil at its source. And so despite humanity's evil, God is determined to bless and rescue his world. And so the big question, of course, is what is God going to do? And the next story, The Hinge, offers the answer. But for now, that's what Genesis 1 through 11 is all about. If you're ever looking for some incredible instruction on the Bible, it's called thebibleproject.com, and they go through every book of the Bible, and, and they do such a, an amazing job. But what I love about that video is it just shows humanity again and again and again and again, what? Turning from God. Turning from God turning from God. There they were in the garden, created in the image of God, Genesis 1.27 tells us, walking in holiness and purity with our Creator, but by voluntary disobedience and sin, we fell from the purity and innocence of Eden. And that video, and I think it shows it so well, we fell, the spiral, I love the spiral, it, we fell into the depths of sin and iniquity, we spiraled down, and now as you look at this world, sin has really truly spread throughout this earth, hasn't it? It is a sin-sick world. Sin has been passed on from one generation to another. Psalm 51.5 tells us, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. But yet, hallelujah, God still has not given up on us. Even though we turned from Him, even though we went our own way, living for created things instead of for the Creator, He did not give up on us. He misses us and He wants us back. And through the death and resurrection of who? The death and resurrection of Jesus, that's exactly what happens. Jesus has made a way for us to be in a relationship with the Heavenly Father once again. If you're here this morning, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you need to know that because of your sin, because of the things that you have done that are contrary to God's will, without the help of a Savior to forgive you of your sins, you will be unable to have eternal life in God. Even one sin makes you guilty before a holy God. James 2.10 tells us, for whoever keeps the whole law, whoever keeps it perfectly, but yet stumbles at just one point, just one point, is what? They are guilty of breaking the whole law. You're guilty in your sin. And Romans 6.23 tells you that as you are guilty of your sin, the wages of your sin is death. 
In your sin, you will never be able to enjoy a right relationship with God. It is impossible. It can never happen. God's perfection cannot tolerate even a blemish of your sin. Even one thing that misses the mark of His perfection. And so here it is. Your sin, it separates you from God. And that is a separation that will last forever. But it doesn't have to be that way. God doesn't want that to be the outcome of your life. Though sin has separated you from God, God wants you back. God actually wants a relationship with you. Where sin has brought death and separation from God, God, out of his love for you, he's made a way to close the gap, to reconcile you back to himself, to be in a relationship with him once again. He misses you. He misses you. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins, pay the penalty for your sins, even remove your sins. And yes, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but it also goes on. There's a comma there, not a period. It says, yeah, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Jesus, you can have life. In Jesus, you can have life. I don't care how you came in here this morning. In Jesus, you can have life because Jesus really loves you and his father really loves you and he desires to be in relationship with you he misses you but you've got to accept the lifeline the rescue the deliverance that is found in the death and resurrection of jesus and jesus alone he came to this earth with a mission it was a mission of salvation a mission of rescue a rescue mission by the way for you he thought of you when he died for your sins for man did come not to or for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost, including me, including you, Luke 19, verse 10. Without exaggeration, without me having to blow it up and puff it up, this is exactly what Jesus can do for you. Jesus literally saves you from your sins. Where you deserved punishment, where you deserved wrath, you have actually now been saved. You were a sinner that was destined for death, but by his death, he has actually now made you a saint, where you can actually have eternal life with God. See, he took your punishment, he bore your sins, he took the weight of your sins on his shoulders he became the sacrifice for your sins paying the penalty for your sins and if you put your faith and your trust and your hope in his sacrifice you are now forgiven washed clean set free declared righteous and given eternal life god misses you and he wants you back he wants a relationship with you and through the gift of his son he is actually able to reconcile you back to himself through jesus you can right now today not tomorrow, today, in this moment, be in a right relationship with the Father. Not just for a little while, but now and into, in, into eternity. You can have that today. I hope you receive that gift today. The game of Christianity, I hope, is over. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and follow Him. Do not follow man. Do not follow religion. Follow your Savior. You need a Savior. Without a Savior, you will live forever without the presence of God. But with a Savior, you can live holy, clean, blameless, perfect, in a relationship, the Creator with His creation forever and ever and ever. Maybe you're a Christian here this morning. And if you're honest, you've been calling, you got the name tag right, you got the lingo down. But it's been a long time since you've actually been following the Lord and His leading. Man, have you ever played the game? And we can say all the Christian things and get by and look like we're, I mean, we can even look really good on the outside. I mean, smooth and slick. But are you one who truly obeys God's call in your life? The messages that He is speaking to you that you have avoided and that you have just said no to again and again and again and again. Today, He wants you back. 
And I've got news for you. If that's been you, if you've been a Christian living in rebellion, right now, he does not say, well, now we've got to figure all these things that you've done in the past and make them all right. No, right now he says, you know what, my, sa- my son, Jesus Christ, he paid for all of that. He paid for all that. And if you turn right now, you can have the abundant life that I've called you to live. I've got new- news for you. He-, he misses you, he loves you, and he wants you back. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? As Christians, we always say, well, I'm the older brother. I'm the one that's always, you know, there the whole time, and I'm grumpy that my younger brother, you know, got to come back and have a party thrown for us. Well, even that is a self-righteous attitude. You're the younger brother. Yes, you're the older brother sometimes, but yes, sometimes you're the younger brother. I mean, I don't live with you all the time, but I can tell you, and you can tell me, we, I mean, just look at my life. We all have times where we try to grab this thing by ourselves and we get really self-centered and selfish and say, no, this isn't your life, God. This is my life. And I have one life to live and I'm going to live it for me. And we grab our inheritance and we go with it, right? We all do that. And if you don't think you do that, you're a Pharisee that looks good on the outside, but you have dead men's bones on the inside. There is a hunger for God to have you come back to him. If you're a prodigal to come back to him, he misses you. In the story, you remember, you guys all know the story because we're all Christians here, right? We, we know this. Oh, yeah, the prodigal. And oh, bless, bless their heart, those prodigals that come back. No, often you got to remember you are that prodigal. Even now, in some of the ways you are living, in the, some of the ways you are acting, you are that prodigal in rebellion to God's plans for your life. But you remember, he gets that inheritance. He, he gets it. What does he do? He spends it. And he spends it on reckless living. And then it gets so bad, he's feeding pigs. He goes, dude, the pigs are, 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 are eating better than I am. He goes, oh, I got a plan. I know my father, he, he feeds his servants. So I'll come back to my father and I'll say, man, maybe I could just be one of your servants and then you'd feed me. Because he's, he's hungry at this point. So he comes up with this plan. And, and look, look at it in Luke 15, 18. He says, I'm going to arise. I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Do you see the shame and the guilt and the condemnation? He's just like, oh, God, you know, oh, Father, I'm just so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed. And so he arose. He's got this plan. He comes to his father. But while he was still a ways away, like he was still out there, like he was just a glimmer. Like you just kind of see him shimmering on the horizon. His father saw him and he had compassion and the father ran. The father embraced him and the father kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, here he goes. He goes, I got this speech coming together. Here I go. Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father's like, I, I'm not going here. I'm not even going to listen to this speech. He says, Servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and put a shoe on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us, what? Celebrate. Because my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. The thing that God Because does it it break anyone else's heart when you feel like you've known that person, that Christian, for 10, 20 years, and then they confess that thing that nobody knew about? And they're the person that says, I'm not a prodigal, I'm the older son. And then that thing comes, and it devastates everyone around them, it devastates their family, it devastates their friends, it devastates the church. How many more churches do we need to have crumble because of that man who's so prideful and arrogant to say, no, I, I don't have, I, I am the older side. I'm here and, and I'm never a prodigal. But you are running from God. It's just no one knows about it. You're really good at keeping it a secret. 
But wouldn't it be amazing if it was more than a sermon or a church service where God right now by his Holy Spirit says, I know you're playing the game, but I miss you and I want you back and I've created you for a purpose and a reason and boy, it's going to be good and it's going to be full of joy and it's going to be full of life and you've been playing the game to everybody, but maybe you need to meet, have a meeting with Pastor Dan like this week and we got to confess some things and say, you know what? I've been playing a game, but I'm ready to live the life, the dangerous, adventurous life for Jesus Christ where I lay it all down as a jar of clay and say, God, would you also surpassing power fill me up and use me and lead me today like there's a dangerous message here this morning that gets us out of church and gets us out of religion but says there is a living God who's still alive who wants to lead you and to guide you he misses you and he wants you back and next week we're going to be looking at how easy it is to wander from the Lord and and I got some good personal stories on that one and and, and the hymn writers right they even talk about it prone to wander Lord how I feel it. But here it is. I, 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 and I think there's plenty of scriptures. And I, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm already jazzed about next Sunday. I can't wait. But I was thinking about this. I don't think we have to wait till next Sunday to turn to God. Have, have you noticed? I've noticed that in my own life. Like the turning to God is not like this one thing that we did like 30 years ago. Oh, I remember when I turned. I don't know about you. I have to turn to God every day. The pride and the arrogance and the, just the flesh that rises up so easily. Oh, God, I surrender. God, I turn to you. God, would you speak your voice? Not the who am I going to marry, where I'm going to work, but God, just what, what do you want me to do next? What steps do you want me to take today? Who do you want me to call? Who do you want me to text? Who do you want me to email? Who, how do you want me to speak to the checker? How do you want me to speak to the person at the DMV? How, what, what is the attitude and the spirit that you want me to have, God? He misses us, and he wants to lead us. Into a life that's so much better than that. And so for some of you, maybe you've come in through the doors today and, and you know that you've never lived for God. And, and I'm not going to try to be the judge here and decide whether you're going to heaven or not. That's not my, my passion here. My passion is that you would actually have a real conversation with God this morning. And if you've never had that relationship with God before, I would just say today, all of that can change. All of that can change. All of that can change because of Jesus and the death, the brutal death of Jesus Christ on the, on the cross and his amazing resurrection three days later. Right now, if you say, Jesus, I actually want you in my life. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior, not just in word, but actually in deed. And I'm going to obey all the little messages that you have for me, God. I actually want to be a creation who is living for his creator and living the life that you have created me to live. That can happen today. Or maybe you've called yourself a Christian for years. But you know there is a disconnect between what you call yourself and how you truly act. And you're in an unhealthy place. I've been in that unhealthy place so many times. Isn't it kind of a shaming thing? Aren't you a little embarrassed about that? And it's so heavy and so deep, you feel like you're trapped and you can't even tell anyone about it. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe there's things you're like, man, I could never tell my spouse that. If I told my spouse that, they would leave me in a second. You are so ashamed. And the weight... Of sin, the condemnation is so heavy on you, but you are a Christian. So you are living under the weight of sin, where as a Christian, you are free in Christ. Doesn't that kind of make you miserable to play that game? And yet Jesus wants to set you free from that misery this morning. You're, you're in an unhealthy place. Let me just be honest. You lash out at others. You curse others behind their back. You get easily offended. You're quick to attack, quick to judge. You're wearing the Christian name tag, but good on the outside, but you know on the inside you're in an unhealthy place. 
I think this is something I've done before in my life in unhealthy places. When you're in that unhealthy place, isn't it true that everyone else is the problem? Have you noticed that? It's never you. It's somebody else. You all, have you, and when I'm in that place, I'm so good at blame shifting, like Adam and Eve. So good at pointing out what's wrong with others. It's not me, right? It's you. And if, if, I, if, I, if I get tired of blaming all of you, who do I blame? I blame God. Everybody else is the problem. But it's time to get honest with yourself. It's time to give the Lord permission. And if you need to shake, then shake. If you need to cry, then cry. But actually give the Lord permission. Change me from the inside. Change me, Lord. It's time to surrender Him, to come back to Him, to allow His love and His joy and His peace, patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control actually be in you and flowing through you. Right? Be a Christian, not just in word, but in deed. He misses you. He wants you back. And I, regardless of how you came in this morning, I am so confident that you can leave here in a love relationship with the creator of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of you. You just have to turn back to him, back to your maker, back to your creator, back to his embrace. Jesus has made a way, and, and we've passed out the communion cups today to remember that Jesus has made a way. Because if you just start listing out all the things that you've done to try to be with God and to be a good Christian, those things don't really add up to much. The only way for you to be in a relationship with God is through the payment, the, the payment for your sins, the, the penalty that has been paid by Jesus Christ for your sins. And the efforts and the striving and all the things that we try to do, the playing the game, all, all the things that we do that, we, that look Christian or smell Christian, aren't going to get us into an everlasting relationship with God. The only thing is to hear the heart of the Father that says, I miss you, son, I miss you, daughter, and for you to turn to him. It's your choice. Your spouse can't make the choice for you. Your kids can't make the choice for you. Your neighbor can't make the choice for you. You have to choose. Say, God, I've been in rebellion, and I turn to you. I turn to you. I'm tired of living for my plans and my desires and my dreams and my wishes and my wants. I turn to you. I lay them all down. I say, God, creator of the universe, the one who created me, who formed me, who fashioned me in my mother's womb, would you now set me on the course, step by step, moment by moment, day by day, set me on the course of what you have designed me to do. So we have bread and we have juice. And we know that Paul gave us instructions and he just followed the instruction that Jesus gave his disciples. The body, represented by a sometimes slightly stale cracker. And his blood, represented by Welch's grape juice. It's kind of funny when you think about it, right? But remembering Jesus is a beautiful thing. And man, I just wish it wasn't when we're trying to get him to do the big things for us, right? We're really good at remembering Jesus when we want him to bring us a spouse or magically get us out of debt. Oh God, I remember you. But no, he actually wants a real relationship with you, not just a spiritual ATM machine, not just a genie, not just a wizard, but a loving God, the lover of your soul who wants to walk with you in the smallest details of life. 
And so, Jesus, we remember you, not just as a once-in-a-blue-moon attempt to get you to do something for us, but remember you that without you, we are alienated from God, separated from his presence. But in you, and by the body that was broken for us, there is the opportunity to have a relationship with our Father once again. That God who misses his creation, he has reconciled us back to himself through your body. Do this with me. In your blood, Lord, where my sin puts a stain that cannot be removed. The impossible was made possible by your blood. Your blood, Jesus, washed our sins away. Our sins removed as far as the east is from the west. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. We remember and celebrate the blood of Jesus. Take this with you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, I just pray over this group right now, Lord, that we would take this seriously. Being a Christian, this is not a playground, it is a battleground. <laughs> Lord, that our faith is serious, that our walk with you is serious. That if anything Satan would want us to think, Lord, right now, is that we could just kind of sleepwalk through life. That we could just kind of coast through life. But Lord, you want to wake us up this morning. Awake us up to do what you've designed us to do. To do the things that you've created in advance for us to do. And so God, would you wake us up this morning. Wake us up this morning. If anyone here in this room, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, any of that stuff, and no one's looking around, uh, but I just want to pray for you. If there's anyone here that just wants to wake up and says, you know what? I, I have been in rebellion in certain areas of my life, and I know that God has been calling me, but I've, I have been disobeying His call, but it's time for me to respond to His call. If that's you, I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you raise your hand high so I can see your hand, and then I'm going to pray for you. Absolutely. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Is there any area in your life? Lord, this prayer is exactly for the people that raise their hands. This is a selfish prayer that those people that raise their hands, you would just shine your goodness on them right now, your favor on them right now, your blessing upon them right now, Lord, that you would speak in such an intimate way that they would hear your voice, they would hear your words, and they would be led by you, God. And that as they are led by you, God, we would follow them, that these will be the leaders. These will be the leaders that we will follow. The lead, I want to follow people, Lord, that are here to turn to you, God. I want to follow people who actually see the depravity of their sin outside of the grace of God and that actually want to raise their hand and say, God, help me and save me and rescue me. Lord, may I follow their lead. May I follow their words. May I follow their teaching, Lord. These are my role models. These are my examples. These are my heroes of the faith. Those who raise their hand and say, I'm not living for the things of this world. I'm living for God and for his purposes and his plans. Lord, would you fill them up by your Holy Spirit? Give them what they need right now. That you would give them new gifts and new abilities. There would be a baptism of your spirit, Lord. You would flow through them, Lord. You would break the chains. The sin that is so easily entangled, it would be gone in the name of Jesus. They would be set free, declared righteous, and they would move forward, Lord, into the plans and the purposes and the calling that you have for their life, Lord. I thank you that they will go into the darkness, and as they go into the darkness, the light of Christ will be in them. And as the light of Christ is in them, wherever they go, the light will go and the darkness will have to flee. We thank you for them, God, that they 
are in this church. We thank you that they are taking up these seats. And we thank you, Lord, that they will lead us in the 2017, 2018, 2019. Lord, they will lead us as they follow you. We will follow them, Lord. We thank you for each man and woman who raised their hand, Lord, the spiritual giants of this community, Lord, that they have raised their hand to say, I am no longer living for my life. I am no longer living for myself. I miss you, God. I want to live for you. I turn to you, and now I'm living for your plans and purposes. We thank you for them, God. We thank you for you, God. We thank you that you're still alive. We thank you that you're not in the background shaking and cowering and wondering what's going to happen in 2016 with the presidential election. That, God, you're very confident in your plans and your purposes. You're very confident in your redemption plan through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You're very confident that you're sending your son, the student coming king, to come back and to reign once again. Lord, you are very confident in what you are doing and what you're going to do. And Lord, I just pray that there would be a confidence that would rise up in each person taking up a seat in this room, Lord. A confidence that their life is no longer theirs, but their life is found in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus in me, the hope of glory. And we thank you, Jesus, that this is the place where your spirit dwells. Have your way, Lord Jesus, in this place. Have your way in my heart. Have your way in my mind. Have your way in my soul. Have your way in my body. Jesus Christ, have your way in this church. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.